Well, hello, White Sox fans. Welcome to another edition of White Sox Daily Live. Another exciting edition of White Sox Daily Live. My Yay! name is Ian Eskridge. I am here with the Danny Miller. How you doing? Uh, not well. <laughs> I mean, if you really, I mean, are we talk in life in general? You know, eh, whatever. It's it's the holidays. I'm I'm spending money quicker than it can come in between uh, you know Christmas shopping and uh, I, I don't know why we decided to start doing home improvement. You know, just within the last month and a half or so here. But hey, here we are. So yeah, the money's going out faster than it's coming in. But uh, you know, whatever it is, what it is, man. It is the season to be jolly, unless you are a White Sox fan. In which case, yeah, not well, not doing well whatsoever. But uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna save the angst and the bullets for the show. How you doing, man? Not doing too bad, you know. Uh, all things considered, things have been, uh, you know, going fairly decent for I don't know last week since we talked last uh, on here. Anyway, um, yeah, things are pretty decent. Can't complain. Um, yeah, so uh, the front office of the White Sox has been... Sorry, I just uh, laugh out loud. I apologize. I mean, people have been giving them all sorts of, you know, all sorts of business the last week. Um, you know, White Sox Twitter, you know, social media stuff. They've been killing the front office. And, you don't uh, say. Yeah. I mean, you can't blame them. Um, so... Right after our last stream, uh, Vince Velasquez went to the Pirates. Uh, Josh oh. Bell signed with the Guardians for two years, and uh, you know he is not a great fielder, but the guy can hit a baseball. And um, when you pair him with uh, Josh Naylor, um, those guys are you know, probably going to team up and be quite a, quite a problem, but we'll see. Josh Naylor and. Well, I'm not going to get into all the rest of the guys, the, the rest of the guys, whatever, you know, and this is also. Well, the thing is, is they were a lot like the White Sox last year. Uh, they, uh, they didn't hit a lot of dingers per se. They hit a lot off the White Sox. Against the White Sox they did. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, overall, they didn't hit a lot of dangers. But that just adds a little more pop to their lineup. Yeah, there was on MLB Network today, there was the uh, the top games of the year. And one of the top game, the number nine game of the year was the Guardians-White Sox game where the White Sox, I believe it was nine to one. They had a lead going into the ninth and then uh, gave up eight runs in the ninth inning and uh in extras managed to blow it so that was uh that was a lot of fun to watch as i'm sure you yeah. can imagine um so left-handed starter andrew heaney uh signs with the rangers for two years and 25 million so that's 12 mil 12 million per uh cody bellinger signs with the cubs and um you know that wasn't one that a whole lot of people really got upset about uh as he signed for one year and seventeen point five million dollars, um, you know, seeing the kind of numbers that 
Cody Bellinger put up last year, you know, that was a considerable amount of cash for uh, fairly subpar numbers. The only thing that I can say is that he still has a good glove regardless of whether he's hitting the ball or right. not. But he can uh, move pretty well. He's he's pretty, you know, he's not cement footed. He's I wouldn't call him exactly, you know, the fastest guy in baseball, but he can move. He can throw. He can catch. But uh his bat to ball skill has been a little uh lacking, you know, the last season, season and a half. But you know, the thing is uh, that deal I can you know, a lot of people were shocked that he only signed a one year deal. And my first thought was, well, because of that down year he had last season, he's betting on himself and he's going out there and he's gonna try to build value and get back into the market next year. So yeah, you know, not sure. a shock there. Yeah, it's a it's a prove it deal and uh like I totally, I totally get that. And for the Cubs, you know, uh, the fact that um, you know they can turn around and deal him at the deadline if he is hitting again, and they can also throw a qualifying qualifying offer on him the next year if he does hit well. Yeah. Um, that they can you get know, a free draft. I, the, the White Sox might have a. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, I, I apologize. Just thinking, you know, mid season the White Sox might have a a, a first round you know, top five overall draft pick they can throw at him for Bellinger. <laughs> well, no, I mean, they're going to have, uh, so that that's another thing that happened that we can get to in a, in a, in a little bit, but uh, the, yeah. the draft position. Um, so then, uh, so the White Sox lose out on Cody Bellinger, which is a neither here nor there for me. Uh, then also that same day, uh, Mitch Hanniger signs with the Giants uh, for forty three and a half million, uh, three years, so roughly about uh, I don't know what is that, uh, 14, just under fourteen, fourteen, yeah, fourteen million a year, right, yeah, right, yeah, fourteen and change, yeah, and you know, uh, this was while the 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 Giants had said that they were looking for two outfielders, um, and the guys on their you know on their radar was Aaron Judge, who ends up resigning with the Yankees for. Uh, $360 million. Um, I'd say that was out of the White Sox price range. Um, but <laughs> just a little. Yeah, he goes ahead and resigns with the Giants, but the, uh, the, or with the Yankees, but the, the Giants signed Mitch Hanniger for 14 million bucks a year, um, which is one of those guys that uh, some people also had their eyes on. Gone. Um, Taiwan Walker signs with the Phillies. Uh, Cubs sign Jamison Tyone from the Yankees for $68 million. Um, so the Yankees are down a rotation piece. Um, but something that just came out today is that the Yankees are planning on making a, a, a an official offer to Carlos Rodon. So um, you could see him wearing Yankee pinstripes here, you know, depending on what the number is and, you know, it's been also rumored that he's looking for like six or seven years. And so many people I've seen are balking at the amount of years saying, oh, yeah, sure, I'd give that to him. You know, that guy's always injured. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, well, not so much anymore. And, uh, you know, been perfectly healthy for two seasons. Yeah. You know, and aside from a short dead arm period at the end of the season, yeah. the year before last. But, yep. Uh, then uh, another person that uh, the White Sox had been. You know, I not that I was necessarily thinking that this was going to happen, but uh, Quintana signs with the you know Q Q signs with the Mets for thirteen million a year. Um, 
the Red Sox add Kenley Jansen, um, which, you know, yeah, big, you know, whatever. Yeah, that's that's a whatever. Uh, Wilson <laughs> Contreras goes down and signs with the Cardinals uh, to replace Yadier Molina. Oh, I work with some Cubs fans that were a little up in arms about that one. Yeah. Yeah. And then today, I don't know if you happen to uh, catch any of his uh, press conference stuff that happened, but uh, he had some choice words about that uh, North side team and uh, yeah, whatever. I thought it was funny. Um, The uh, Red Sox also sign uh, Masataka Yoshida, uh, outfielder from Japan uh, for five years, 90 million. So um, I think the yeah the uh, the total cost of the deal is one hundred and five point four, uh, with his posting fee from Japan. So, um, you know he's making fairly fairly decent coin. You know he's making what uh, nineteen million a year, uh, or no, uh, eighteen million a year. So, uh, not bad from coming across the pond. Yeah, it's not bad. Um. The Red Sox let their shortstop Xander Bogarts walk off, and he signs. Now, I'll oh. get your take on this one because this one was uh, the the next two that uh, are coming up. I'm I'm just going to go ahead and say them both. Uh, Xander Bogarts signs an 11 year, 280 million dollar contract. Like what? And then the Mets what? the next day. <laughs> Signed Brandon Nimmo for an eight-year, hundred and sixty-two million dollar contract. Yeah, yeah uh, he got what? How <laughs> how did you feel? Uh, we I mean, those are laughers. If you're gonna, I mean, let's be honest. That both have potential to be uh, productive contributors. Yeah, for sure, but. Uh, the level of consistency on both of them is a little uh, risky, I would say. And then to give these guys these long-term big-dollar contracts, you know, those are the type of contracts I expect White Sox fans to balk at really hard. Because, yeah. I mean, come on. they're I mean, whatever. Some of these teams just seem to be spending stupid money just to keep, you know, ticket sales and merchandise sales going. Those are the times. Those are the kinds of contracts I expect people to complain about. Yeah, but we'll get into some other ones that I don't feel are so. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that uh, Xander Bogarts is thirty, and I believe when the season starts next year, Nimmo is going to be thirty as well, and uh, Nimmo will be thirty-eight. Was even older. Nah, he's only thirty. He's twenty-nine right now, but he'll be. I think he's. I'm almost positive he'll be thirty when the season starts. Um, right. But so he'll be 38 when that deal's done, and then Bogarts is going to be 41. And you know, like we've talked about this a ton, you know, about the fact that you know you're going to overpay and you're going to put in more years than you than you'd like to, uh, just to just to get these guys signed. Um, but I got to say. Even so, I was pretty shocked at both of these contracts. Right. Both at the amount, uh, like the the dollar amount that they're getting per year, you know, 
each, and then also the length of these contracts. Now, I under, like I said, I understand that they might have to overpay a little bit uh, per year, and that they might have to commit to an extra you know year or two than they would like to. But I mean, Nimmo in particular, years eight years, for, uh, like I, both of them, I was just like, okay, I don't understand either of these contracts at all. And I, I will tell you, you know, uh, people were saying that the, the White Sox should be a a player in the Brandon Nimmo sweepstakes. And personally, you know, I was expecting that him, kind of money. Yeah, I was expecting him to get like 20 a year, you know, and I was expecting hey, him fine. to get like five, five for 100. That's what that's what I was expecting, you know, roughly about hey, there. Hey, and even again, that's fine. a stretch. And I would have been right. unhappy if the White Sox first hundred million dollar player was Brandon Nimmo, Brandon Nimmo personally, right. like I just would have been not, I would have been like, why is, why is it that our first, you know, million, you know, hundred million dollar contract is a Brandon Nimmo and B like, I, I would just expect more of a superstar, like, you know, guy for for them finally putting the money out at that amount of money. Hey, Pusher, how you doing? Mets. Yeah, good Singer. evening, yes, Rudels and Pusher. Yes, hello, Mister Rudels. His birthday is the twenty seventh of March. Thank you, sir. So, yes, Brandon Nimmo will be in fact thirty years old at the start of the season next year. So, I mean. Yeah, I just both of the, both of those contracts. I was just uh, I was shocked. I assume Pusher that you were talking about the uh, about the Wilson Contreras signing being uh, being the thing that you think, were uh, not thrilled about. I think he was referring to the uh, comments made being you know not not so about much funny our comments, right? But sad, yeah. Well, well, about the know. comments that he made to the media about the the Northside team that he used to play for. Well, yeah, I mean that's I mean I would expect that that would be a a thing. See now, Pusher, <sighs> Pusher Robot says, "Dude is a douche," and I'm not going to disagree with you. I'm going to hundred percent agree with you. The only difference here is that I would have said that before he went to the Cardinals. Yes. I, I've just never, never been a fan. The guys always starting fights, and uh, you know. No, the thing is though, is he's got some, you know, and I don't even know what they are. But you know, you're telling me that he had some choice words for the Cubs. <laughs> They're not to be repeated on this stream. Okay, all right. I, I haven't seen it. I will go look it up. Uh, if you are listening on the podcast, I hope that you do the same. But yeah. Uh, you know, whatever it was, the way you're making it sound like it wasn't great, and uh, I, I just can't fully understand that, or even a little understand that, you know, even slightly, because he was the guy that a, a lot of those fans seemed to love. They didn't want to see him go. Yeah. As much like the other, you know, some of the other guys that they have, uh, you know, lost in the last couple of years. Well, I think I think his point is is that uh, you know when you when you when you see the comments, I think you'll understand more. But the the thing is is not a thing that's against the the fan base per se. I think it's more for the front office and the way he was he was handled. 
Oh, just okay. pretending right. to be part of the new team. Yeah, it's entirely possible. I mean, he could be, you know, doing the rah rah thing and trying to get, uh, trying to get into the good graces of the Cardinal fans and saying the things that he said. That's certainly like that rivalry. That's that's yeah. something that they certainly will uh, react to and enjoy, and enjoy when they hear him say that. Um, yeah, you know, I I could imagine though that a lot of the uh, the Cubs top players over the last you know, five or six years here or so that have gone uh, to the wayside to other teams uh, probably might share some sentiments and how the organization has handled things being, especially that, you know, they went out and talked about dynasty for so long and uh, won one and kind of fell apart after that. For whatever reason, we're not going to get into, this is a white Sox stream, but yeah, I, I imagine there's probably some salt to be uh, thrown around for sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, then there was a few days off after the, uh, the Nimmo thing. I think everybody, everything in ba- everybody in baseball saw that Nimmo deal. And, uh, I think that they took a couple of days to, uh, yeah. ponder what, yeah. what was being done, uh, and Nimmer, you know, trying, Nimmo and Bogart trying Oof. to figure out why, why that, uh, why those ridiculous amounts of money were spent. But then, uh, the next one was, uh, yesterday, uh, Kodai Senga, from the Mets, uh, five-year, seventy-five million-dollar contract, and I don't believe he had to post. I think that he was just uh, a free agent, and just able to come over. Um, so they get a another starting rotation piece over there with the Mets, and uh, I saw a list today of the potential guys that they could have starting for them at the beginning of this uh, upcoming season, and there's like a list of like twelve names of guys who could start for them. So they are, they seem to be very prepared for uh, what's coming in the, you know, in the following six months here when the season start. Um, the Blue Jays sign Chris Bassett, former White Sox guy, uh, to a three-year 63 million. So he's making 21 million a year. Um so now we know why he was out of the White Sox running because they've never had a $20 million a year contract. Uh, so that would explain why he was not signed, but uh, he signs with the Blue Jays. And so they've got another starter to, you know, to uh, pair up with uh, what's that? Robbie Ray and uh, or it's not Robbie Ray. Is it Robbie Ray? No, no, it's uh, um, Manoa. And um, who's the other guy I'm thinking? Well, Nate Pearson's one of their pitchers as well. And then uh, uh, let's see who else they got. They got the uh, – I know they got somebody else. Uh, yeah, they got Manoa. They've got uh, – now they have Bassett. I'm trying to remember. And then Pearson who had control, you know, command issues, uh, but he's really nasty, but uh, ran into some problems last year. Yeah, Nate Pearson wasn't so great. Yeah, Robbie Ray's on the Mariners. Uh, I'm trying to remember who uh, who the other guy. Uh, they got Ryu, you know, but he's been he was injured for most of last yeah. year. Um, I know there's somebody else that I'm not thinking of, but they they've got uh, some fairly decent pitching now. Um, so. You know, it seems like uh, there's there's a lot of teams that are improving their teams in free agency. Uh, the White Sox, you know, 
uh, you know, as we know, they added Clevenger, so that was, you know, an, an, a fairly nice deal for them that they uh, – oh, yeah, Kevin Gaussman. That's who it was. Thank you for that, Rudels. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, oh, yeah, Jose Barrios. Yeah, we know – all about Jose Barrios, so I'm not really worried about oh. Jose Barrios so much uh, because they generally, you know, have hit him fairly well. Although I will say that a lot of their uh, success uh, for Ho- against Jose Barrios, I believe, was Jose Abreu. So we'll see uh, where that goes in the upcoming years. Um, so the White Sox have said, you know, we're waiting for free agency to to get going, to do our thing and uh, hop in on the trade market. And uh, after they say this, um, I think it was John Heyman tweeted out that um, it appears that the trade market is pretty much dead because players, you know, uh, teams don't want to give up prospects to grab – uh, to grab players and that they find it far too expensive to trade away these prospects as comes, you know, they'd is, rather throw money at the situation. Yes. Yeah. They'd mm. rather go out and spend money on free agency than trade away cost controlled, younger, talented players, which I, I know shocking. Um, but uh, you know, while the white Sox say that they are working on numerous trades, um, here we see today a three-team deal between the Braves, A's, and Brewers. And the A's send Sean Murphy to the Atlanta Braves. And uh, the Braves sh- uh, ship off uh, William Contreras and uh, and Manny Pena to the Athletics. Uh, so a bunch of catchers moving around in this deal, which is an interesting one. But... Um, Oakland's also getting a uh, utility guy uh, from the Brewers and then a couple of pitchers uh, from the Braves and uh, Justin Yeager from the Braves and uh, Joel Piamps from the uh, the Brewers. So, I mean, there there is a bunch of there's a bunch of stuff going on in this trade, uh, mostly, you know, arms, you know under the surface, but the the main headliners of the whole thing was basically three catchers just switching positions on teams. Right. So um the Braves will get a you know a, a fairly I, I mean I would think uh a fairly decent upgrade from uh Contreras in this deal. So uh yeah. you know of course the White Sox were rumored to be in on this deal. Why I, I never quite understood the idea of trading for uh for him Sean the Murphy. Fir- yeah I didn't really understand it in the first place not that you know I, I wouldn't a hundred percent be uh surprised if Grandal does not come back in full form next year and that he's kind of on the downside and on his way out I mean regardless of the fact that he was hitting with one leg last year I still wouldn't be surprised because he is a year older that his bat slowed down a little bit and that his numbers stay, you know, not a hundred percent, you know, like hundred yeah, percent of what they were when we got him. But it's been two seasons of an unhealthy, banged up back and knee issue. You know, yeah, it's just it's it's been a whole ordeal with them. What? How are we to believe that uh, all of a sudden, just because we've got a new strength and conditioning, and uh, you know. 
uh, biometrics team in place, does that just mean he's, you know, it's not like these people can go and wave a magic wand and all of a sudden you're healed, healed demons. I I exercise the demons, you know, uh, I'm not a hundred percent sold on that. Can these new hires make a difference? God, I hope so. But, uh, we have we, to hope so. We don't have uh, what else do we have to hang our hat on? Well, that's the thing. You know, uh, we can look at the way this free agent and trade market has been moving this season, and the Sox just seemingly uh, lack of just just they're just indifferent on on being involved in any of it. It seems, and uh, you know, there. Don't get me wrong. There's there's a chance that if this team on paper is healthy and produces the way we have been told they can and that we've seen flashes of sure this could be a competitive team by by all means i'm not going to throw the sauce under the bus for that you know we have a lot of talent if it can you know stay out there together for more yeah. than 25 30 games for a season but uh do we really expect these guys to do some magic and make everybody healthy overnight and everything's just going to go our way? God, I hope so, but I can't hang my hat on that right now. No, I mean I don't understand how you could. And the thing is is that while you watch what's going on in free agency, like I said, other teams are improving via free agency and um the White Sox are not and it's kind of one of those things where they're acting, you know, not, I don't, you know, obviously I don't think that they feel this way, but, you know, they're acting like they're the Astros and they won the World Series last year and that they can just run it back and everything will be fine. But the reality of the situation is that they went 500 last year. And if they go back to what they think that they should be, Minus Jose Abreu, you know, are you looking at a a 94-win team that can win the division and go out and uh, make a run in the playoffs? And, you know, if that's, you know, if this is what the, if this is what the plan is, you know, I don't, I don't see where the optimism comes in there. You know, I don't see where the the thought process that that is a, you know, a possible, a plausible reality to think that that is a possible scenario outcome. No, and you know we do, everybody wants to talk about this team minus Jose Abreu, but it's not just minus Jose Abreu. It's minus your second best pitcher from last season and Johnny Cueto. Sure, we went out and got Mike Clevenger, uh, but you know, can we really depend on Mike Clevenger to be the 2019 Mike Clevenger? Nobody really knows yet. You cannot. Uh, Every single team in the playoffs last year had a left-handed starter on the on the roster in the starting rotation. White Sox do not have a single left-handed starting pitcher on the team anywhere. It's very bizarre. Um, you know, uh, it, and you, we were we were going down the list of pitchers, but you know, and it, I'm not saying he was my top or favorite target. It was a guy that we talked about a little bit last year during the offseason in Manea. He just went off the board. He did. And he went off the board for about $12 million a year, roughly 12 and a half, something like that. I mean, you know, not breaking the bank. You could have had a lefty, maybe get, and you know, his numbers weren't exactly awesome last year, but he wasn't terrible either. Yeah. If you're going to give 
Clevenger, the contract you gave him, why not do the same for a lefty and at least try to shake up, you know, the way opposing teams align their starting a lineup against you? You know, I don't know. It, it, it just a thought. But, you know, I digress. All I'm saying is it's not just Jose Abreu that's that's missing from this team. It's Johnny Cueto that's missing from this team. We're still, you know, only – I know Oscar Colas is going to come up and be our starting right fielder, but technically at this point in time, we have one starting outfielder in Luis Robert right now. We're still uh, missing a second baseman, you know, and a healthy catcher. Like, there's a lot of freaking holes. Still, a lot of freaking holes. Still yes. years later. And everybody can say, "Oh, well, it's you know, it's December twelfth, and uh, this the the off season has just begun." Yeah, you know that's fine and dandy, but uh, as every day that passes, another name, two, three comes off the board, and the market is setting itself, and it's setting itself higher than the White Sox would like them to. So instead of being in the forefront, and going out there and trying to grab a guy before the market sets itself higher than it wants to be, which a contender normally would do. Go out and be on that front edge, that leading edge of in making improvements to your team. They're sitting back. They're waiting for the dust to settle. So what happens when the dust settles? You're going to be left with scraps and hope that you catch lightning in a bottle that everybody gels the way they're supposed to, and you're going to be able to fill all your spots, and you're going to go out there and keep your entire team healthy, and we're still going to talk about contention. We're in our window of contention. Well, I mean, tell me, I mean, tell me you haven't seen this movie before. This is like a carbon copy to what happened last year, except for this well, year they're point. saying that they want to get involved in a trade market. You know, it's stagnant. That's stagnant until yeah, today, anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, really? the thing and is, that though, is election. that are are any of these teams that that you are thinking about? You know, pitching trade whoever, whoever <laughs> yeah, whoever you're trading for, like, are what? What do you expect? Maybe they don't want to hit the price that you are putting on the talent. Well, and what makes you think that anybody, well, while everybody's out here throwing money at their holes, what makes you think you have something to offer them? Well, I mean, that they're not throwing money at already. Yeah. I mean, well, I, let's be honest. There's, there's not a Liam Hendricks out there on the market. And, you know, no. as we talked about, you know, I don't necessarily think that it's a great idea for us to be, you know, for, for the White Sox to be giving away top end talent. You know, oh, why not? Everybody I, seems to think that Raylo can just jump into that slot and be awesome. And, you I'm know, not saying possible. he can't. It's possible, but again, we're talking about proven talent. This isn't, uh, you know, throw them out there and see what you can do. You are in your contention window is actually now you're on the backside of that window and you wasted two years under Tony La Russa. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah. So, you know, uh, this is not the time. This is the same thing as bringing up prospects to see what they have when you're out there talking about, we have world series aspirations. It's the same exact thing. Yeah. Now you're talking about let's throw Reynaldo Lopez, who's never really had that closer role over the course of an entire season. Or, you know, Kendall Graveman, who's, you know, had some issues of his own in the last season. I mean, you know, he was okay, but was he stellar? No. You know, Joe Kelly dealing with, you know, nerve issues. Yeah. No. You know, he doesn't like being a closer anyway. 
So right, uh, but those are not contender type. That's not a contender type move. Yeah, to throw your basically your top player at this point. Yeah, after letting Jose Abreu go, this is your the, the biggest star on your team right now, proven wise anyway between him and Tim Anderson. Yeah, and oh, we're just gonna trade that guy away and hope we get something nice for him. Yeah, and I'm not <laughs> saying that they couldn't that they couldn't get something nice for him, but like my my thinking is is that you know we're not talking about a Chris Sale here. Okay. No. Yeah, he would have. You know, if he's traded, he would have two years of control this year and next year, and that that's a hundred percent fine. But the thing that we're talking about here is we're talking about a closer whose contract you're going to have to pay. So, you know, assuming you know, like the great thing about Sale was that he was cost controlled and he was top end talent in the starter market. Which, you know, you go out and get you go out and pay for a Sale, you're going to pay through the nose for it. So the fact that he's cost controlled for a few years is going to get you a big return because you don't have to pay top end money for a top end starter. Now, on this side of the things, you know, when you look at it is that these the you know, the closers that are that are signing right now Liam Hendricks' contract isn't too far off from what a top end closer would get in this market. So yeah, you get two years of control, but you still have to pay near top of that market's value for the contract. So are you really going to be giving up a- an excess of value for a closer? And I guess I mean obviously that would be on a uh, team by team dependent, you know, situation. But right. you're going to have to find a team that has something that you need that's major league ready. If you are indeed trying to keep this winning contention World Series window, which even saying that now just <sighs> makes me feel absurd. But, you know, contention window, you've got to find somebody that's major league ready to fill one of the holes that you have on your team and you have to do it for, you know, a top end closer. So the odds of you getting even return on that value seems fairly unrealistic to me. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Prospects. Sure. Possibly. You know, you could get a, a prospect that's close to the major leagues and hasn't seen any time in the majors. Or, you know, I mean, possibly, you know, I, this is just throwing this one out there. Uh, seems like it could be a a move that might possibly get made just because they have a surplus of talent. You could probably trade Liam Hendricks to the Mariners and get, you know, Jared Kellenick back. You know, so you'd be getting a guy that's, you know, a very highly rated prospect, but the thing is, is that he's made he's had time in the majors and it hasn't worked out well. So you're taking right. a major gamble. Yes, he can play in the outfield and he would be fine in the outfield as far as fielding goes, but you don't know if that bat's ever going to translate because he hasn't done it yet. So yes, you're getting major league talent <laughs> for for the closer, and I mean it's entirely possible that Kellenick's ceiling could be through the roof. I mean, when you watch him go and play in the minors, he's mashing. But the thing is, is when he comes up to the majors, 
it's been a struggle so far, you know, and they have a, you know, a bunch of, you know, surplus in the outfield as far as talent goes. So it's entirely possible that that could be a, a trade that gets made, you know, something along those lines. And, you know, I, you know, but again, I, you're gambling on hundred percent possibility of a prospect being able to help you through your window of contention. And you're gambling on thing, Right. Exactly. Which is the same thing we talked about in 2019 and 2020 and 2021, more like 2020, 2021, and last year. This is not the time for the White Sox to be throwing guys out there to see what we have in him. Yep. Because we don't want to go out and get the guy who's got, you know, three, four, five war proven talent per season. You know, and it's 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 sad. It's yeah. sad that this is the way that they we all know this is how they operate because I've been like this for forever and a day, but it's sad that it, they're almost laughing at us, I feel like, when they're still trying to convince us that they are all in and they have done nothing to show you that they are. So I don't know. We'll see. You know, I'm I'm not going to beat that drum too hard tonight. I I feel like I can. I can go on and on. Oh and yeah, on we 100. percent We could sit here and rail on it for hours. But I mean, you know, there's there's not really any point. I it, it's just I think that we're at the the part of the off season where hopefully we start to see a little bit of movement here. Now I don't know what you know, like what we're talking about, like what kind of pieces are going to move around. Um, but I would I would a hundred percent not be surprised if that was that was the return from you know the Mariners if we made a deal like that I, I'd say it would probably be you know Jared Kellenick and maybe you know something else that was uh, halfway decent at Double A you know uh, probably another outfielder or some or a pitcher at a lower level something like that. That's what I would expect as return for Liam Hendricks, you know, because you are trading away elite talent, so you're going to get at least elite upside from two guys, you know. Right, but you know, you get the you get the high ceiling, but you know, there's a low floor there. Just going off of what history tells us, like you said, his, yep. his you know, albeit small sample size at the major league level. It, that sample size tell us that that there is a low floor there that can yep. you know become a reality for a young player uh, uh you know and he's got the talent to do it but we've seen it time and time again where these guys get touted as you know highly rated prospects yeah. that just it doesn't translate and you know is that the route that you well, let me. I'm asking you personally. Is that the route that you feel comfortable with? I mean, you say that you can see this deal happening this way, but do you feel comfortable? I do mean, you feel like that. You feel like if let's say he reaches his potential. Well, if Kellen, if Kellen, like if Kellenick reaches his potential, I mean, you're looking at a possible forty one hundred guy. But the th- the thing is, is that again, you know, I and you know, like. You know me, I follow minor league baseball like pretty much nobody else. Um, 
I, I will even go out as far as to say is that prospects are suspects until you see them in the major leagues and until you see them do it. Like, I love Oscar Colas. The guy's got, you know, he throws the ball 96, 98 miles an hour from the outfield. The guy can hit a 450-foot, you know, quarter-second home run. The guy's got unreal bat speed. He runs great routes in the outfield. I love the guy, but until he comes up and does it in the major leagues, it's still not the best plan to not have a backup for. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that, that I worry about with this team is that, you know, we're, they're hitching their wagons to these, to all of these guys that are on this team, which, you know, they should all be, you know, most of the starting, the, the starting, you know, six that are out there, most of them are have a a pretty nice pedigree, assuming that you're putting Colas and Robert and Aloy and Vaughn and Moncada and Grandal. I mean, you, all those guys have a good pedigree, and they should be putting up really good numbers. But as we've seen the last you know year and a half, calendar year and a half. You know, from June of 2021 until the end of this year, is that their stats have been middle of the road, nothing spectacular. And, you know, it could be because a bunch of them got injured, could be because there was lack of motivation and lack of accountability and blah, 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 and go on and on and on down the list of just various reasons why they're not putting up numbers. We've heard every excuse. In We've the book. heard every single one. And this is what you're hitching the wagon to, you know? And, you know, I'm 100%, you know, I'm pot committed here because I got, you know, th- there's nothing that I can do other than watch what's going on. You know, I am right. just stuck off on the sidelines and we'll see what happens. And, you know, every White Sox fan's in the same boat and all of us feel, I, I you know, like, I'd say probably like a good 85, 90% of White Sox fans feel this way that, there's literally, you know, there's not a lot to be excited about at the moment. Th- there's not, you know, I mean, there's we saw what this team did last season. Yeah. And what, what your confidence in, you, you know, what percentage your confidence is at with the White Sox actually getting something done that is going to excite you is probably pretty low. Right. And, you know, again, we spent a lot of time talking about the, the new hires within the organization the last couple of weeks, you know, and I, both of us. And, and I assume that there's probably a lot of, of fans out there. You know, there's I'm sure there's a lot of fans that haven't listened to our show or really kind of dove as deep as we have into some of those hires and, and the changes that have been made. But I would say the ones that have are probably more on the excited side. Uh, to see those changes and to see the organization going in a, a different direction that they are, you know, known for. Yeah. But at the same time, it, I just history tends to repeat itself, and it's been repeating itself for a long time with this White Sox team. You know, uh, I, I am. I'm. I'm not one of those people who's going to pine for a three hundred million dollar contract. You know, I, I agree with most people when they say that's stupid money, you know, especially like we talked about earlier in the show, these these Nimmo and Bogarts types deals. But there's a handful of contracts out there this past season that I would have 
I would have gone along with 100%. You know, your big guy that you wanted to see come to the White Sox, or at least hope for, you, you knew it probably wasn't going to happen. But, you know, Trey Turner. Yeah, huge, 100% that's huge, not coming. Yeah. Huge contract. And there's no way the White Sox are ever going to make like that, at least, you know, and not anytime soon until there's a major change or shake up at the top of the, the system here, the top of the organization. But do I think that's a bad contract? No. Probably and I'll tell not. you why. He's a six war player. And you and I, I heard the guys on MLB tonight earlier this week talking about this, and they said basically what I was thinking, and being that he, you know, he's a six war player, and if you take the first six years of that contract and you think he's gonna continue to be a six war player for those six years, that's thirty six war. And if you add up the numbers in that contract at eight million per war, anything after that six years is a surplus on what you're paying him. Hundred percent, and you know he's he's listed as like the fifth or sixth fastest man in baseball. Uh, he gets the balls that that nobody else gets to as a shortstop. He's slick with the glove. He hits a ton. He's a hundred RBI guy every year, and he's going to produce year in and year out as long as he stays healthy. Now I get that's the big if with these you know White Sox fans have been yeah. jaded into to believing that everybody's going to get hurt and that contract's going to be a, a bust, but. You know, if you get in the first six years, if you get your money's worth out of them war-wise, you know, if we're talking about value per war, anything after that is just a bonus. So yep. the last few years of that contract, when he gets a little bit older and he starts to aggress, the speed slows down, uh, you know, as good of an athlete as this guy is, you can probably shift him over to second base. Yeah, You might have, you know, he's played some outfield. He played center field for a while. You could shift him in the left field where he's still probably going to be quick enough, even if he's lost a step, to get the most balls and be a serviceable fielder. And if he's not hitting 40 dingers and 110 RBI season, and he's only hitting you 10-12, he's still going to be a plus war player for those last few years of that contract. I think it's worth every dime. I don't really care about the last two years. And if we're going to sit here and talk about what the state of the team is seven years from now, you're never going to get the team, the players that are going to be of consequence on your team. You cannot tell me that, oh, well, you know, six, seven years from now, that contract's going to come back to bite us in the butt. Well, you know what? I don't know what the rest of the roster is going to look like in six, seven years from now either. I don't know what the next CBA is going to bring and if the, you know, if the, uh, the values are going to go up for the first threshold. You know, beyond that, I mean, we just saw what was it like a twenty-one million dollar increase from the last CBA to the new CBA? Uh, I would say maybe it's not going to be that much of an increase next time around, but I don't see it going backwards back to two million a year increases. No sir. Uh, you know, so I'm really kind of tired of hearing. Well, you know, the White Sox had the seventh highest payroll last yeah. season. Sure, they did. <laughs> they didn't spend that money wisely. We've been talking about that forever, yeah. and they still don't have a $20 million a year contract. If we don't go out and get that $300 million contract for 10, 12, 14 years, fine, whatever. Why can't we have the five-year $20 million contract? Why can't we sign a player of consequence that's going to help this team for more than three years? Yeah, well, I mean. You know, Yasmani Grandal was the last four-year contract they doled out before, you know, aside from some of the early extensions that we did on rookie contracts. Where you know we've done that math breakdown, and they might have saved a couple million dollars here and there, but I mean, realistically, you paid a bunch of guys who hadn't shown you anything in the major leagues. Yeah, I you mean, know, as I, of so, right now, it, you're overpaying for 
all of the production on this team for the most part. Last year, you overpaid for everybody's production except for Jose Abreu and Jake Berger and Andrew Vaughn. Those are like the only three ones that paid for themselves as far as the uh, the money to value went. Uh, hey, what's up, Xavier? How you doing? Good to see you. Hey, what's up, bud? So John Riddle says the Sean Murphy trade may have been worse than the Fernando Tatis trade. I don't understand that at all. Um, but one thing I did hear uh, was the there's a possibility that the Yankees were looking into acquiring Fernando Tatis Jr., which I would find very bizarre, um, but funny. Um, you know, yeah, I, like, you know, here we are. You know, and I and like I said, I don't necessarily think that there's you know as as you said, I don't think there's a, a, a an issue with the fact that the White Sox payrolls around two hundred million dollars. I don't, I don't think that that's the problem um, necessarily, but I would say that if it was at two hundred million dollars and you hadn't handed out all those extensions, the team would probably be a lot you know quite a bit better than if you were paying a bunch of guys who hadn't produced yet, you know, $12 million, $14 million a year already when they hadn't proved it yet, and you had spent that money in other areas. Now, that probably would have made the team better. Right. But then, you know, you see <clears throat> things right now, like the Mets payroll is scheduled to be at th- almost $350 million. Yeah, they're like a hundred. They're over a hundred million dollars over to CBT. Insane. Imagine why. Imagine why a handful of Steve Cohen for buying the Mets. Yeah, hundred percent. I yeah, I totally understood at the time <laughs> why Uncle Jerry was trying to block Steve Cohen from buying the Mets because I kind of figured, you know, as he's a Mets fan, he wanted the Mets to be good. So he's spending money on the Mets because he wants his team to be good. And as he's a billionaire and knows that, well, money isn't following him into his, uh, I mean, it may, you know, I, I guess you could put it in your tomb with you, but, uh, you know, it's not going to do you any good when you're dead. So you should probably spend some of it. Meanwhile, Jerry is of the exact opposite, you know, thought process and is 100% against labor and is all about ownership. So he does not want to do his part and escalate these, you know, these paychecks for the players. And, uh, you know, says that they're, you know, bad investments won't pay anybody over like a, you know, three-year, four-year deal or whatever and won't pay out for elite free agents. So, I mean, we're pretty much stuck here. And uh, hopefully, you know, I, I don't know if you had caught the – um, the writers' roundtable, the uh, White Sox writers' roundtable with uh, Daryl Van Scowen and uh, James Feagan with Jesse Rogers. Um, but you know, basically, you know the the whole thing that came up is that uh, Rick Hahn is being expected to improve the team and make the team better and competitive without the means to do so. And yeah, it feels like that scene out of uh, Moneyball where Brad Pitt goes into the owner's office and and says, "I just need a little bit of money." 
and, and the owner tells him, well, no, you're not going to get any more money. I want you to go out and build me a contender within the constraints of the budget. And Brad Pitt tells him, he's like, you know, hey, listen, you know, he's, he's playing the part of Billy Bean. And he says, listen, I'm not asking for 20, you know, 18, 20, 30 million dollars, you know, to sign up, you know, a single player. He's I'm just asking for a little. Just help me get closer. And I feel like that's Ray Khan right now. Just help me get closer. Help me. Help me. If you help me a little bit now, I will build you the team that will bring you the money later. And it's just not happening. I don't think Jerry really cares about building the team that's going to bring him the money later. Yeah. You yeah. Know? I mean, I, which brings me, I'm sorry. No, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm pretty much in agreement with that. I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of things that Jerry doesn't care about. I mean, anybody that's been to the park knows that the fan experience at the park is garbage. You know, yeah. like if you show up an hour early for the, for the game, if it's a giveaway night, you're lucky if you're getting in at first pitch. Lucky right. if you even get to the front gate at first pitch. All right. And I've been to a few other stadiums since the whole security thing and COVID. And, uh, you know, I can tell you that uh, the lines don't look like that everywhere. They, <laughs> they move look like that anywhere. rather quickly. Yeah. I don't understand why the White Sox can't figure out their security issues at the gates. And it's not like they only have one or two gates open. They've got gates open all around the stadium, and every last one of them moves ex- slower than molasses in January. Yeah, John Rudolph you know, that- says we barely got in, and me and him we went to we went to a game, and uh, which actually was a triple play game, by the way. Um, Ooh, sorry, we we got to the park an hour before uh, first pitch, and we got in line right away. And we got to our seats within three minutes of first pitch. We got there three minutes early because as soon as we got in the building, we immediately ran to our seats. Frozen peanut butter smears faster than that line moves. It's, it's ridiculous, man. I like, and the thing was, is that the giveaway was gone probably, uh, Oh, an hour and a half. Okay. So we were there an hour and a half early. We were there early. We were there within plenty of time to be able to get in and get to our seats. And, um, the giveaway was gone. Like, you know, pretty much we, we were probably about halfway in the line, like the, the end of the line, right. When, you know, the line started moving, we were about halfway and the giveaway was gone about five minutes before we got to, you know, into the park. So we just missed yeah. the giveaway. And then there was still, you know, thousands of people behind us in the lines. And it's just, well, and it's insane. the thing you get these giveaways. It's first 10,000 fans, first 10,000 fans. And it takes you an hour to get to the front gate mm-hmm. with one, two, three, four gates open at the at bare minimum. Yep. And it takes 10, it takes an hour to get 10,000 people through four gates. And then the giveaway's over, and then you barely make it in for first pitch or yep. you know first second inning. Yep, and it's absolutely redonkulous. Yeah, I was I was you know, uh, and this was talking about a Cubs game I went to, you know, with a with a season ticket holder friend of mine, and uh, we went to a Cubs Sox game, and we walked right up to the gate with there was literally no line. He walked up, showed his phone they scanned it and we walked right in i didn't have to take anything out of my out of my pockets i didn't need to get wanded i didn't need to do anything they have 
new technology, you know, for security that you can get in. It's an x-ray technology that works in a camera. And they have it at places, you know, they have it at uh, casinos. Um, they have it, you know, they have it at a bunch of places, uh, including Wrigley Field, apparently. And uh, what what where they do not have it is at guaranteed rate. And they still have tech from, you know, like 1995. And so that suffers. Yeah. You've got yep. criminals extorting people for money <laughs> off of the expressway, you know, basically physically threatening the patrons of the team. Nothing gets done about that. I mean, there's just, there's, you know, just so many things that go on at that stadium that make it not enjoyable and nothing's done about it. No, and it's like and the price of tickets go up. The price of concessions go up. The price of merchandise goes up. You can't get a hot dog and a beer. Even I mean, now sure you want to go on dollar dog night, whatever. But uh, you know, all the prices continue to go up. Parking goes up. All these things go up. The product in the field goes down. You know, we're we're watching this stagnated garbage last season last season and a half really and uh yeah the the experience hasn't gotten any better but you're asking me for more money every time i step foot on the premises and that's not what fans want to hear and uh, you know the the fan experience has not been great so i want to ask you uh did you see the tweets about our old buddy Bruce Levine blaming fans not attending games for you know that using that as an excuse of why our owner doesn't want to go out and spend on contracts. Did you see any of that? I did see that, and you know I will uh, second Ryan McGuffey's response and retweet to that tweet saying that it was absolutely irresponsible to blame the White Sox fan base who. You know, two hundred two million of them showed up this this past season for an yeah, absolute trash baseball team. One point nine seven six or something for yeah, that ridiculous. travesty of baseball that was on the field last year. Two million people showed up to watch that garbage, and to uh, you know, and I I don't know if this was uh, straight out of Bruce Levine's dusty you know brain, or whether this is like something that he's repeating that you know, from the front office. But I mean, if that was, if that's if in anybody's mind in that front office, they don't deserve to have a job. Right. If any of them do in the first place, you know, Um, you know, I, well, not to mention that all the money that was saved during the course of the rebuild when, you know, in 2018, the Sox had the absolute lowest payroll in the game. Uh, or at least, uh, you know, the, I think it was the second lowest payroll, but the lowest tax hit as far as the, the CBT was concerned, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 2017, they were fourth lowest. Yeah. And they don't have to you pay know, for their stadium either. Cause nobody's showing up to the games. Right. 2019 it was, they were 16th. So they were still in the bottom half of payroll yep. and, and then you bring it up, you know, the stadium deal, uh, from 1991 to 2018, there was no tax paid zero. Yep. And in 2008, that they, you know, it was part of the negotiation when that stadium was built that they would get a flat tax of $1.5 million a year. When you know what most other stadiums are paying for their leases? 
at the time of 20, 2008, 10 to 20 million a year. The Sox are paying 1.5 from 2008 until the end of the stadium deal. Quite the Unless they hit that one. Right. And they, if they hit that $1.9 million or 1.9 million attendance mark, then they right. have to pay a three to $9 tax. And in most cases, it's only been three because it's, it's a, it's an escalator escalating clause. Yeah. There's a, there's an escalator clause. So if they, they've got to get to like, you know, over that 1.9 is like a $3 tax on most tickets. I think they got to get to like 2.3. So they need like another 400,000 in attendance to hit the next escalator, which brings them up to like five or six bucks on a ticket, whatever. Uh, And then on top, to top all that off again, all these other teams are paying taxes on concessions, parking, merchandise, and of course, like we just talked about tickets, and the Sox haven't had to pay any of that. Yeah. But this last season was the third time that they've had to pay it since that new stadium has been built in 1991 when it opened. Uh, I don't want to hear anybody cry poor. You're making money hand over uh, fist. Yeah. You know, and I respect the, the, the thought that they want to make a profit for their shareholders. Like, I totally get that. But the thing is, is to expect the fans to put up with this year after year after year and not put anything into it. And, uh, I, what's up, Grimtall? No big deal, man. Um, yeah, I mean, just to put up with it year after year and to see other teams start to spend. And then the White Sox don't, it's just, you know, don't cry poor to me. Don't, don't say, you know, don't say anything. And I'd be a hundred percent fine with hearing not anything than hearing some of the stupid things that I hear coming out of that side of, you know, that side of the conversation here. In 2013, the Sox had over 2 million in attendance somehow, some way. Don't ask me. I don't know why, but you know, they had over two million in attendance in 2013. Uh, with that escalator, they paid about an additional four hundred thousand in taxes. So you had a one point five million dollar flat tax fee. They paid an additional four hundred thousand. So you're still at only one point nine. Let's just say two million. When again, like I said, all these other teams are paying ten to twenty. Yep. Complete it's, sweetheart deal. I, I yeah, I don't want to hear the excuses of well, well, if we sell more tickets, we can. You know, or if we stay, if we stay under that, you know, we save ourselves a couple million. But if we go over that, then we, we suffer by a couple hundred thousand. Woe yep. is me. Yep. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's fairly absurd. I mean, he had, uh, you know, he, Grimtaw. You, know, you know, he did, he negotiated a great deal and good for him. Yeah, you know, he absolutely. didn't, he didn't move the team. He, you know, faked out everybody and said he was going to move the team. And, you know, like they probably should have just called this bluff if they're going to, you know, I mean, they're just giving that stadium away, you know, I mean, it's ridiculous, but, you know, like I'm happy that they're still here, you know, but I mean, the, the yeah, fact that they didn't just let them walk. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, not, you know, as, as the tweet said, you know, this is pretty uplifting stuff. Um, not exactly what everybody wants to uh, wants to be talking about, but um, you know, <sighs> it's what we have right now, and uh, we'll see what's what's coming down the pipeline. You know, well, I mean, do you expect to go to Walmart to pay for lower quality product than you would at some other, you know, big department store, and expect that the money you're spending there 
now is going to bring in better quality products later. Because that's the way I feel that tweet was kind of thrown out there. Like, hey, you know, uh, White Sox fans are to blame for their owner not spending money because they don't attend enough. Oh, okay. So I'm supposed to pay for the product that you might put on the field later. I'm supposed to pay for that now. Yeah. Pay a premium for it. There's, I don't know, think so, man. The uh, I I know that season it, ticket renewals are way down this year. Yeah, there are. Um, I, I'm sure you've seen it all over Twitter. There's been uh, well, P. Knowles put out a great yeah. tweet. You know, I don't always agree with P. Knowles, but uh, he uh, he had a choicely worded email that he sent in that was fantastic. Yeah, I don't blame. I 100 don't blame him for his response. I mean, it's completely logical to not want to renew your season tickets after seeing last year's product and then at you know at a higher rate at a higher rate and then you know at that higher rate they're running back the same squad minus their best player for the last 10 years right you know i mean what sense does it make to pay more for a team that has performed worse it has less value you know on the team as far as talent goes like what sense does it make it doesn't make a whole lot of sense at all like i understand yes your payroll's higher but whose fault is that the team's assembly and the the manner that it was gone about of you know accruing this debt was improperly managed and it's a hundred percent on the people that are in charge. And, you know, like I've been saying, you know, this entire off season, you know, since the end of last season, that this year is, is my last year of giving Rick Hahn the benefit of a doubt, you know, when it comes to, you know, talent acquisition and all that, all that kind yeah, of stuff. Like I because, said, man, call me Missouri. Cause I, you need to show me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like at this, at this season, he has to do something that's positive. And I and it's like the thing is I'm not even asking much because I understand that the constraints that he's under and I find that the like personally I think the Clevenger signing was a good signing. Yeah, but, yeah, no, I'm not complaining about it either. I would have liked to have seen a lefty, but I'm not mad about it. Fair Clevenger, enough. Especially especially at the dollar amount that they got him for. Good for you. Fair enough. And you know, all I'm saying is that if if this Grafal hiring ends up being a a big nothing burger and nothing changes, I'm done. Well, if that's the biggest news we're going to get of the off season, I'm pretty close to being done myself. You know, like you need to either pull off a a decent trade, like you've been blowing up our skirts, you know, for the last month and a half here. Uh, or go out and sign a a free agent that's going to contribute better than, you know, and don't get me wrong, I love seeing, you know, Vaughn go out there and do his thing. Guy can hit the ball. He took so he took a big step last year over the previous season. You know, Gavin Sheets, when he connects, he can hit the ball a mile. Do I want to see either one of them plodding around in the outfield again? Absolutely not. No. Give me somebody who can actually play the outfield. I would be maybe not ecstatic, 
but pleased to see a move that makes a little bit more sense than what we've been looking at. Yeah. You know? No, I, yeah, a hundred percent. Like I, I, the thing is, is I don't particularly care whether he makes trade, whether he signs a free agent. If the options that are put in place are internal, if Rick Hahn's manager does what Rick Hahn thinks it's going to do, and it turns the team around and the team plays a lot better this year, then I'll give him a pass for this year. Because, you know, let's be honest. We know that he's not given the biggest budget to work with, you know, no, and that he's there's not, a lot of ifs in that scenario. To, I mean, there's, there's a lot 100%. of moving parts that are going to have to come together to make what you're talking about a thing, because this isn't just about Pedro Grafal. This is about analytics. This is about health. This is about not only keeping those guys healthy, but producing at a level that, you know, we all hope they will. You know what I mean? There's a lot of things. There's a lot of moving parts there. It isn't just about Grafal going out there and putting out the best lineup. And, yeah, you know, okay, if the manager does his job and his coaching staff does their job, you'll probably get more production out of these guys than you had the past couple of years. But, you know, there's the strength and conditioning department that's been kind of revamped from what we're hearing. Uh, you know, there's an analytics department that's being revamped that we're hearing a little bit about. There's all these things. There's just a lot of new behind the, th- the scenes, off the field things going on. And I can't put all of that on Pedro Grafal and Rick Hahn. I need to see more out of Hahn. I can't, you know, if that's tell fine. me, hey, these are, you know, okay, fine. If they turn it around, good for you. And I will be more than excited to see a team that produces w- better than 500. He's got, and you know, but see, the thing is, is that he's got his guy. He was allowed to hire his guy two years oh, ago. He was absolutely ecstatic about it. We could see that in the interview. We saw hundred percent. We saw the grit. We saw the gritted teeth when they announced Tony Larusa and that press conference. It was awful, right? I so mean, he had was, to suffer was, through that for two years. The team suffered through that for two years. I get you that. see the play on the on the field. His his budget is set at what his budget set to. That's a disappointment. Minus, part, but you're right. I minus, can't really blame 100%, him. hundred percent. But expecting him to squeeze, you know, water from a stone, you know, when he has no payroll flexibility. While I will agree that yes, he is at fault for quite a bit of it. How much of it we don't know because it has been, uh, you know, been said that quite a few of the contracts that were signed within the last couple of years were due to TLR asking for said contracts and that they might not necessarily have been signed by Rick Hahn. Now, I don't know what the truth to that is, but, you know, I am trying to go out of my way to give him the benefit of the doubt because I oh, a lot of the I, things that he's done have been very have been sound in theory. Yeah, up until so, TLR, I will agree with you on that. So there, everything looks great. If Pedro Griffal, he finally has his guy. If his guy does 
what he thinks his guy is going to do and it succeeds, I'm willing to give Han a little bit more leeway. Now, I'm not saying that he's not at fault here for some of the roster construction, if not most of the roster construction, because he's been here for the whole time. But, uh, you know, the fact that some of those decisions were probably made for him over the last, you know, two years or so with some of the, with some of the guys that are there fine, you know, but I'm willing to give him probably like a, a, a couple months into the season to see how the team's handling it. If they're, if well, it still looks right. like garbage, then I'm done. And, you know, I will show up with, you know, not really, but I'll show up with pitchforks and torches, you know? <laughs> well, you know, it seems like Twitter, I like, you know, the way Twitter has been going off the last week or two here. Uh, I, that's like today's equivalent of, you know, pitchforks and, and torches. Uh, you know, the number of season ticket holders not being under contract at this particular time of the year. And it's from, I mean, the rumors out there that it's down quite a bit. But it, it, all right, here's my thing on Rick Hahn. I, I've said it in streams past, you know, a lot the last, you know, month and a half or two here. Uh, I too am not ready to throw Rick Hahn completely under the bus. I do believe that he is working under constraints. There have been rumors about the TLR wanting specific guys. There are, you know, rumors about Tony LaRussa. I'm not, I'm sorry, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf giving him a budget that's, you know, puts them at the seventh, sixth, seventh highest payroll in baseball. But the problem with that is, is, even though you're able to get up to $196 million, we're not going to pay that $20 million a year contract. We're yeah, not going to exactly. give somebody more than right. three or four years. Yep. And that's another constraint on top of the budget. So, you know, I'm with you on that. And, and my biggest problem is if, and if there's any truth to these rumors, it, it is all with ownership by all means. I'm all I'm saying is, is when you say that, Rick Hahn got his guy, which we all know he did because he was grinning the toothiest grin I've ever seen him smile when he introduced Pedro Gafal. And that's fantastic. And if he thinks he can do what he wants him to do, great. But there's still that part of me that wants to see something other than we're hoping for everyone to be healthy. And we're hoping for a prospect who played seven games in AAA to be a monster in the right field. And uh, we're still searching for a, a left fielder, or maybe we're not. Maybe we know that there's a left fielder coming up from the minors along with Colas. I don't really know. But, you know, we've had a banged-up catcher for two seasons. We're still looking at a hole at second base. And, and if if I got to sit through another year of Leary Garcia starting 120-plus games, yeah, I'm going to lose happening. my absolute stuff. <laughs> yeah, I so, mean, short of, you know, somebody, you know, like a a pair of guys riding in a car together and then getting into a car accident, all both of them losing both of their legs, uh, I don't think that that's going to happen. And even, as, even well, so, I think that they would probably find a different way to address that address that, uh, that hole that would be at second base. I, I just, you know. But again, are we looking at, you know, and who's the, it, like, like we said earlier, the, the you know, the off season isn't over yet, it's but not. are we, you know, 
it, we're, I just feel like we're being led to believe that, again, that's going to be filled in-house, too. And are we looking at another young, unproven prospect? Or like you said, suspect, because prospects I, are suspects until you show me. And yeah. it's, it's very possible I'm, that that's what we are looking at. We're looking at a, a right fielder, a left fielder, and a second baseman that are all minor league prospects going to make their way up to the big league ball club and still try to be sold to us as contenders somehow. Yeah, and, you know, like I said, I'm a minor league advocate. You know, I love watching minor league baseball. But, you know, until a guy comes up and proves it, like, I'll be excited for him that he's coming up, you know, and that he's finally getting a shot in the big leagues. But if he doesn't perform, well, guess what? You know, this is this. It's all about performance in in the major leagues. You know, if you don't perform you don't get to stay and it's unfortunate. And I'd like to see all of our prospects turn into major league players and be able to root from, you know, root for them and stay, you know, have them stay with the team until they retire. You know, like I would love to be able to have that luxury of seeing stuff like that, but you know, absolutely. Realistic, As we all would, I believe. Yeah. It just doesn't happen very often. So, you know, until, you know, if, if we're going to be trading away, you know, premium talent, you know, like somebody like a Liam Hendricks or something like that, that the talent, you know, pretty much has to perform. If it doesn't, you know, uh, absolutely nothing will happen because there's no accountability. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I don't think the, the White Sox fans, I, honestly, I, me for one anyway, I can't speak for all White Sox fans, but I would think that if the White Sox could develop young talent, it's like, you know, it's coming. I'll, uh, Tampa Bay. It's coming. Sure. You know what? Fantastic. Let's see that young yeah. prospect move his way through the organization and come up and be somebody with the ball club. But do we see that happening overnight? No, I mean, it's going to take, I mean, well, I, I won't, how about this? I won't say it's going to happen overnight, but um, the difference between the system last year and the system beforehand um I feel a lot more positive about the steps that the players that are there made last year with coach Barquette and the system that they have laid out and the fact that they are moving, you know, they were moving into analy- more analytically based stuff last year. So, right. and, and you know, that's good. Again, I agree with you. Uh, I'm a big fan of Andy. Uh, you have turned me on to him more than, uh, you know, I know you've had some interaction with him, and uh, I know your son is uh, part of his uh, clinics, and uh, you know that's awesome. But uh, I, I just wish I could feel the same way about the rest of it's gonna take what's time. going on. Yeah, and no, I, right. Well, see, that's the thing is that the the thing that I'm worried about is that you've got you, you know Rick's finally got his guy. You know, and this guy is more of an analytically based thing. But the problem is that the all the guys that have been with the White Sox, none of them have been in a system like that where it's very heavily analytically based unless they came from somewhere else. And if they came from somewhere else, it was happening elsewhere. And they've been here for a while and have kind of gotten away from that stuff. Yeah, almost dumbed down. Yeah, right? exactly. A hundred percent dumbed down. So like the thing is, is that, you know, 
it might take a little while for the guys at the major league level to kind of really like take that information and run with it. I mean, there might be a couple of guys that are going to be good, but I mean, there's going to be, there's going to be a learning curve for some of these guys, unfortunately, you know, is that they're still not going to, to know exactly how to use that information. I'm hoping that the trio of, um, Jose Castro, Tosar and Chris Johnson, actually Forza and Pedro Griffal. I'm hoping that the four sets of eyes that are on these guys and the fact that all four of them are analytically based guys, that they can help the guys that are going to need some more help in that area and help them to be better. And, you know, until we see what happens this season, we really don't know. And, you know, Grimtall says Rick's finally got his guy and he's done nothing else. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, we've been talking that's about that. Exactly. You came in late, well, so you didn't hear a lot of that. But and that's kind of exactly what I was getting at. Yeah, We're, yeah, we got our guy, but nothing else has really happened. And yeah. that was kind of my whole point from the very beginning of the show: is as names fall off the board, we're still here. I mean. I don't know what are we we're waiting for all the dust to settle. I was not expecting any of these guys to sign with the White Sox. So the fact that all these no, guys that, are going anywhere else, it doesn't surprise me or shock me at all. Like, yeah, no, I it it's just the it's the lack of any kind of word on anything. Yeah, well, and I mean and it's it's the it's the stagnating trade market because that's what we have been fed as the best way to improve this ball club. And it doesn't seem like there's anybody out there that's really willing to trade right now. Well, I now mean, will that change over know, the coming weeks? Knows. It's very possible, but it just seems like, and you know, like I said, your trade partners that you know might be looking for a piece uh, are filling some of those holes with, by just by throwing money at it. You know, the the whole idea of trading Tim Anderson has been tossed around a little bit, and no, there's shortstop signing them. all. What's that? I said by us, not necessarily them, because they no, said they're absolutely not trading him. Is no, what they said. The White Sox say that they're not right. trading him, but right. I'm just saying there. You know, there's speculation amongst fans and bloggers that it could be a possibility just because he has, you know, the value and the team friendly contract for a couple of years of control. Uh, it seems like it would make sense that you might be able to get you know a really nice return for him. Problem is though, is the shortstop market this off season was loaded with guys who can play the position pretty well. And those guys are all out there. And the teams that wanted to fill those holes to get that type of production out of them are doing it by throwing money out there. So, so far, you know, now so far here, your suitors for a Tim Anderson might be maybe, maybe not completely dried up, but there's less suitors. You know what I mean? There's, there's which in turn might drop his value in a trade some. Then again, it might increase his value because if all those other names are off the board and there's two or three teams out there that really feel they need to pr- improve at that position, they might have to have a bidding war for him. I don't really know how that's going to work out. I'm just saying, as names come off the board and the White Sox sit pat, you know. Yeah, you still got a Dansby and a, and a Correa out there still, and there's still plenty of people talking to him trying to – trying to get them to sign over there. So, I mean, there's still plenty of guys, and there's going to be teams right. that are left out without a shortstop that are still looking right. for Right, I understand that. Now, are they going to be willing to give up what you want? Now, you know, this uh, 
Grimtall brings up, he says, Sox PR got in front of the TA stuff during the winter meetings. We are not trading Tim Anderson, which means they'll probably trade him. And, you know, like the thing is, is that we don't know. You know, I mean, it could be one of those things. You know, we, we've talked He's about trying this. Trying to build his value. We've talked about <laughs> this before, you know, that maybe, you know, they that that's a guy that they're looking to, to get rid of because of the team-friendly contract and blah, blah, blah. And he says, you know, on his Twitter that he doesn't pay attention to any of us which why he feels the need to tweet that if he's not paying attention to us, I don't know, but you know, that's still a thing, you know, he's, Hey, look, I, I would be, I, I'm fine with Tim staying. Yeah, fine. I, he's, you know, he's a solid shortstop who hits the ball. You know, I'd like to see him walk a little bit more and get the down base percentage up, but you know what, when you're hitting 310, 320, 330, eh, I, I can live with you not walking all the time. You know, you yeah, got an no, 800 fine. OPS, whatever. Yeah, good. You know, I mean, I would prefer that the off the field stuff, if he could knock that stuff off, because clearly it affects his on the field play. And I don't, you know, like I just judging by what I've heard from Pedro Gafal is he's not going to put up with that crap. Right. Is that if you can't manage to figure, figure your stuff out on game day, then you're going to sit. And I think, I mean, until I see otherwise, it seems to me like there's some conviction behind his words. Yeah, so, and chances are, if you're going to sit, you're probably going to pout because you know we we've, we've seen that type we, of attitude come out before. We have seen that kind of attitude, so that's that's another thing is that you know maybe that's something that uh, that Rick Hahn knows that he doesn't want to deal with this year and doesn't want to have to deal with in the future, and that that's something that's going to be traded away. I don't know, and, but you'll and, find out if they trade a guy for a bag of balls. <laughs> you know, so if, if we see somebody oh, gone I don't even for, want to think about that. If we see somebody gone for, for prospects, <laughs> oh. that's your guy. Well, I mean, you, you might know? as well tear it down at that point. I, I mean, if we're going to trade away, if we're going to trade away Liam and, Tim or one or the other and not really get a whole lot in return. Like I, I feel like we're getting close to, uh, you know, 2016 status. All right. Well, possibly, but let's, you know, I'll just say that the, you know, this in, this in closing, did you ever uh, pay attention to Bill Simmons on ESPN? Uh, A little bit. Yeah. Okay. So are you, are you familiar with the, uh, with his theory called the Ewing effect? Yes. The Ewing theory, one or the other. And, well, for those of you that that don't know uh, what this is, is that more or less the the Knicks at one point in time got rid of Patrick Ewing, and when Patrick Ewing left, everybody expected the team to fall, have you know, fall from grace badly. And what happened when he left was that other guys picked up the slack. And they more or less finished in almost the exact same spot. Basically meaning that you can take the best player off of a team, and depending on what that change does to the rest of the locker room that's left over, could possibly be not necessarily a bad thing and that they could pick up the slack. Now, right. it all depends on the makeup of the guys but, around them. Right, hundred percent. I mean, you're you're looking for guys with the right mentality to be able to do that, you know, and produce and and, and step up in a way, you know, uh, like we've been talking about with Jose Obreu, 
you know, not being re-signed this season and going to the Astros. Uh, you know, right now you're already looking at a position where you're hoping that guys step up and pick up the slack. And you know, if Oscar Cole losses turns out to be what we what we think he could be, you know, maybe between him and Andrew Vaughn position that he should have been playing, you know, that he was drafted to play and his numbers, you know, he takes another step in his development between the two of them, you know, being that right field has been pretty much a negative for a long time. You could take the two of them as a net positive and, and match Jose Abreu or probably even better. I, I would assume, you know, you're already kind of filling that, that gap there, but then there's, can you expect the rest of the guys to do it? You know, we've watched Yohan Moncada have a huge season. At, well, I shouldn't say huge, but a really good season in 2018 and then not do much ever since. And we can talk about injuries and COVID and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, uh, we've been waiting for that guy to step up for a while. Uh, oh, hey, thanks for the resub. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there you go, John Rudels. I don't know if you're uh, in here still. You're probably not. But uh, anyway, there's a there's a sub. Gifted? Yeah, so, so yeah, I just wanted to end like on a on a somewhat positive note is that it's possible that uh despite the fact that, you know, they are you know, that they've moved on from Jose Abreu that you know, some slack could be picked up and things could end up in, you know, like a uh similar situation, hopefully obviously better than last year's results cuz last year's team was complete and utter trash, but you know, it, it could get back to the point where, you know, even though he's moved on that the team still has a fairly decent ceiling. And that's what that's, you know, that's what I'm hoping for, you know, regardless of whether, you know, how exactly how it takes form after this off season that I can't say. And, but I don't want to put like uh, exact constraints on exactly what I expect Rick Hahn to do, because, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that we can say, that he he needs to trade somebody or that he needs to sign a free agent that's going to that's going to do something great but uh, you know on the other side of that token you know is that he you know he you don't just want to do something just to do something no and I'll you know? agree with that 100% so, I will and you know just to really quickly you know the one thing we do have going for us as white Sox fan is the, the the core of this team is still relatively young. Ish. Uh, yeah. Well, that's why I said relatively. They're not all, you know, they're they're not all twenty three anymore. Yeah. But, uh, you know, still relatively young. Uh, you know, a lot of those guys are still kind of reaching that age before you know they're they're supposedly hitting their primes. Uh, if in fact those guys do stay healthy and produce. This is a solid team on paper still, you know, Luis Robert could be an absolute monster if he can stay healthy for an entire season. Aloy Jimenez has shown us when he's healthy, he is a monster. There's no doubt about it. When that guy is healthy, he's going to hit and he's going to hit and he's going to hit, you know, Yohan, he's made it. We've heard excuse after excuse on him, but in 2018, we saw what he could be. Yasmani, and when Yasmani's healthy, he's doing the things that Yasmani does his entire career. Unfortunately, we haven't seen it in two years, so where he's fully healthy. Yeah. You know, 
Tim Anderson, if he's still here. And again, like I said, I would not be mad at that at all. I'm only going off of what the rumors we've thrown around and other people have thrown around that it's a possibility, but I would not be upset at all. I really enjoy watching Tim Anderson play baseball. Yep. You know, outside of the other stuff, I really enjoy watching him play baseball and you know, he produces. So yeah, on paper, it's a solid team as long as they all stay healthy. So like, we've got that. Let's keep our fingers crossed. Let's hope we get the most out of Pedro and this uh, strength and conditioning staff, honestly. And uh, that's, I mean, if you want to end on a positive note, that's all I got. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's where I'm going to go. And in fact, I'm going to stay so positive as I'm not going to read your last comment there, Grimtall. How you like that? So uh, at Daily White Sox <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, we have a page on Facebook. If you are on that platform, uh, just go ahead and search White Sox Daily. Uh, WhiteSoxDaily.substack.com uh, for written material. Also, this will be in podcast form on WhiteSoxDaily.substack.com. It will also be available on all of your normal uh, podcast purveyors, uh, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, all that good stuff. Um, Odyssey, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. Thanks for uh coming and hanging out tonight and uh Indeed. dealing with this dose and heavy uh heavy dose of sunshine coming from uh the screen and through the speakers. And, Sorry uh, man. I use this I use this platform as a form of therapy sometimes. Fair. So if you guys just gotta bear with me here. Hey, you know, it's not, a, you know, it's not any different than any frustrations everybody else is feeling. So I, I totally get it, man. I just, you know, there's, I think, I think that there's a certain time, you know, where we need to rein it back a little bit and not expect to, you know, like kind of temper the expectations, knowing what the, what the limitations are that are put on, on the position, you know, and it's unfortunate, but it's true. That's my issue. Screw them limitations. That's all I have to say. Absolutely. For my co-host. I have some other choice words. Yeah, well, we'll stick with those. We'll wait for how about we'll wait for next week. I'll let you simmer until next week. Family show. No, I I, I won't <laughs> drop the f bombs on on the family show here. Yeah. Uh, for the Danny Miller, my co-host. My name is Ian Eskridge. This has been White Sox Daily Live. Uh, We appreciate you guys. Thanks for hopping in the chat and coming and hanging out. And we will talk to you guys next week, same time, 9 p.m. on Mondays. Thanks. Have a great night. Bye.